You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. it again we got another episode of the x-man podcast i'm your host doc coil thank you so much as always for checking out the show i greet you from a hotel room in Reading, pennsylvania bad wolves is four shows into the rockzilla tour summer tour with papa roach fall universe and hollywood undead and it's been a lot of fun um First couple shows, a little, you know, on, on our end, a, a, you know, a bit rusty and dealing with some <laughs> technical difficulties, uh, but we've worked through it, and the last two shows have been really good, and uh, there are, these are our first shows with Max, Max Karen, who was on, on last week's episode, and so that's been working out great, uh, and it's just, you know, it's, it's nice. We're, we're finding a very good rhythm early on. We have a great crew. We're just a wonderful bunch of people out here. Everyone on this tour is such a such a pleasure. We did basically this t- same lineup about four months ago, but now we have Falling in Reverse on the on the run, and they're just this band is exploding. I mean, they're really taking off. Uh, seeing what they're doing live and how the people are reacting to them is is definitely something to see. So it's it's great. It's a building upon a really really wonderful experience that we had early early in this year. So I am a uh, a little mu- little longer than a month. I, I still haven't had a drink yet, and uh, trying to keep that co- going for a little bit. Definitely had some temptation last night. Uh, everyone was it was before the day off. You know they call that Roadie Friday in the business, and you know everyone was having a good time. And you know and it's the the social part of it. You want to be able to kind of uh, experience the the camaraderie with it with everyone. But I, I found a way to. To not imbibe doesn't mean I, I won't on the tour. We'll, we'll, we'll kind of take it from here, but I just I feel so good, uh, despite the fact that I just had I think a, a metric ton of Cold Stone ice cream. So if my brain is a little slow, that's because I think all the blood has rushed my stomach to help deal with <laughs> what I just did to myself. I gotta take that easy. That's the problem. You stop drinking and you're like, oh, I can just have all the ice cream, and and you shouldn't. All right, still have to kind of keep it keep it in tow. So the 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 sweet tooth has been pretty serious, but I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Just trying to you know still ironing out some details for the the God forbid show that is coming up, and also Bad Wolves last week last Friday just released a an EP a digital EP, uh, and it uh, features 
Sacred Kiss, the opening song from the last album, Dear Monsters, with a special edition with um, Aaron from Of Mice and Men. Sorry, I had a little brain fart there. And uh, he's doing a guest vocal on there, and it's a really cool version of the song. There's like a piano version of the song, a little ballady uh, edition. And then we have The Body, which I played, I think, last week on the show. I think I played The Body. And we have another B-side called up and smoke which is a really cool song so please check that out check out the video i think the video came out great i think it's one of the uh, better videos that the band has done where we're bringing some darkness into it some some evilness and uh i'm down with that down with the motherfucking devil y'all not for real i don't i don't really believe in that but you know like talking about it uh yeah there's really not a whole lot else to report but I'm just enjoying myself out here. Like I said, the show might be, you know, like this. It might be every other week for a minute. We'll see. I'm going to try and get some interviews while I'm out here. But got a lot of work on my plate. and uh, But I'm, I'm still trying to keep the show happening for you guys. So with all that said, we do have a, a show sponsor this week. These guys were supposed to be on last week, but I couldn't coordinate with them. So we're, we made it happen this time. It's a band called Spectrum of the Sixth Dimension. And this track is entitled... The Paradox.
kind of lamb of Godian times and some some black metal influence and, and atmosphere had a had some raw energy to it uh i definitely had fun with that one there's not a whole lot about this band uh, out there right now i believe this is their only song out there's a, a youtube lyric video available for it and it's streaming wherever you stream music spotify apple music uh but i would suggest uh go over to their Bandcamp, uh spectrum of the sixth dimension dot and uh the sixth you spell it out uh s-i-x-t-h i don't say that word very well well sixth sixth <laughs> i need to work on that I need to work on my diction but uh, yeah, so go over there, check them out. You can uh, download the song for free. They also have a, an Instagram, which is just the band's name. Please go over there, send them a message, tell them Doc Coyle sent you. And uh, thank you to them for sponsoring the show. It really means a lot. If you'd like to sponsor the show, just uh, drop in my DMs on the interwebs or shoot me an email at the xmanpodcast at gmail.com. Remember, that is E-X. Okay, with that out of the way... 
we have a great show. We have uh, a part two, I guess, or or like an episode two of the Symposium series uh, with Ryan Downey, Eric German, Mike Mowry. And on this episode, we're talking about the pressure that's put on artists who engage in social media and specifically TikTok and kind of some of the blowback from that. And, and these guys are really are experts in their in their field. So I, I couldn't have a better panel. And I, and hopefully we'll, we'll keep doing this in the future. We'll find interesting topics that uh, can use the opinions of people that are really on the inside and understand what's going on. And it's a, and it's an absolute learning experience for myself. So I'm going to stop talking and I'm going to let these guys cook. So check out the social media symposium. Fellas, uh, welcome back to what I guess we we call the symposium uh, with a new subject matter, which was inspired uh, by our friend Eric German over here. So let me intro these wonderful uh, human beings we have on the show. We have Eric German, entertainment lawyer of bands like Bad Wolves, Asking Alexandria, Five Finger Death Punch, and more. Too many to name, but actually he's, 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 he's slimmed it down. He, he cut a lot of the fat out of out of the way. We have uh, Mike Mowry, uh, artist manager, and what I coined a music industry educator, I think. You know, in my, my opinion, works for uh, 10th Street Management, uh, works for bands like uh, Ice Nine Kills and Solence, going on tour with Five Finger Death Punch coming up. Um, and we also have Ryan J. Downey, who has too many credits to really name. I don't, he has the biggest link tree I've ever seen in my life. It doesn't make any sense. Okay. Stop gloating. He's got Link Forest, Doc. That's right. Stop gloating yeah. on your link tree. He's the host of the Speak and Destroy and No Prize from God podcast. Uh, also, uh, the main man at Superhero Artist Management works with Demon Hunter and is also the purveyor of the Stream and Destroy newsletter. Great value. I'd say get it if you're interested in the industry. Also, a writer, journalist. Again, too many credits to name. Uh, fellas, welcome back to the X-Man. And thank you for using this as the platform to have this discussion. Okay. Dude, th thank you. I mean, <laughs> who's going to give Doc the intro? I mean, I know everybody listening knows who he is, but like, no. can we have a, a little, like, you know, everybody say a nice thing about Doc? Nah, nah. Listen, I I, I, here, here's what I can say. We are not just on the X-Men podcast. We are the post-Robert Trujillo episode. I was literally just going like to say, going on, I host the Metallica podcast. In the 90s at 9.30 on NBC. Yeah, he, he's talking about the Metallica podcast I host. This dude just had Metallica on his podcast <laughs> and plays in a band with Metallica. So, you know, Of course, right. just like a, a true musician who goes with his most commercial enterprise and wants to follow it up and keep it real, the next episode was Dave Brodsky, which is cool. No, you Dave know, Witty. Dave, Dave Witty from... Uh, Dave Witty. Sorry, sorry, sorry. From you got the was Steve, Steve Brodsky, right? Yeah. Didn't you have Steve on shortly yes. after? Yes. Yeah. Wait, wait, Actually, you no, went, Steve, went no Steve was... Yes, yeah, Steve was first and then, and then yeah. Yeah, old school, man. I don't, I don't, I don't mess around. Yeah. I got street cred, I think, kind of. Dave, Bro Dave, Dave Brodsky, rest in peace. I just did an, an interview with Blothar the Berserker, actually, two days ago. Uh, when we went when we went through the entire Guar discography, so there was a lot of a lot of Brodsky talking there, and I just had um, three out of four guys from Cavemen on the Metallica podcast. Myself. That's awesome. So, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, the, the point being, he followed up his biggest hit 
with uh, with a good, nice deep cut there. Right? Yeah, it's the George Clooney, you know, one for them, one for me. There you go. But they're all for me because I'm I'm very selfish. So I'm calling this the the social media symposium. And uh, Eric, it was uh, his idea to do this, and I think this was spurred. And I'm just going to read this this quote. Um, this went around a bit. Mike Shinoda of Lincoln Park. Um, put out a statement. I don't know if he, he was interviewed or something, but he, he he talked about this. He said, I am tired of hearing musicians be told they're not investing enough energy in social media content. Every artist I talk to right now has this feeling. They say they're spending way too much time making these little videos to support their careers, but they wish they could spend more time making and playing music. How is a young artist expected to put in enough time to get great at their craft when they need to feed all these content channels? The time they spend they spent generating mind-numbing content, quote unquote, might have been at the expense of the best song they never wrote. Eric, can you kick us off? Yeah, well, first and foremost, I think that is really the issue coming out of the pandemic that bands, managements, artists are struggling with. Because as we went into the pandemic, remember, when that thing hit, most rock bands weren't on Twitch. Most rock bands weren't uh, uh, doing TikTok that would be kind of almost seen as silly, those things, right? And now, uh, in, in fact, you want to take it back a few years, most rock bands weren't controlling their own YouTube channels, right? So now you're in a world where YouTube and TikTok and all of these things are driving the conversation in ways like they never before. And many, many people figured out how to make it work, find an audience, develop uh, a fan base during a pandemic without live touring, right? And nowadays, when you ask yourself, would you rather have a great band that uh, has a great live show and absolutely no presence online? Or would you rather work with a, a band that's crushing it online and has a huge audience that never goes on tour? I'm not sure what the right answer is, but when you've got artists that are trying to figure it out, that are starting to try to make it, and you're living in a world where TikTokers and YouTubers with giant platforms are putting out rock songs, collabing with some giant stars, and, and really getting noticed. And you've got great rock music being ground out by uh, uh, artists that don't have anything going on online and don't have anything to hang their hat on. You've got a lot of conversations happening in the industry right now between agents, managers about, you know, do you need to go wiggle your butt on TikTok? Do you need to uh, do these other things? What kinds of gimmicks? How do you get noticed in this, in this vast, uh, uh, you know, where so much music is coming out all the time, how do you break through in a post-pandemic world if you're not online? And I have lots to say about the issue on both sides, but I want to kick it around uh, to everybody else and make sure uh, we hear from them. What do you guys think? Well, it's interesting that this sort of indictment of social media, you know, came about actually on social media. Those were actually tweets the doc was reading that were re-reported in the in the news story. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. But you know, and I'm not trying to call out Mike Shinoda because it's sort of the nature of the beast, and it's the whole thing that we're talking about, right? I mean, it, it can be a great tool uh, for starting conversation, pushing a dialogue. You know, that uh, it, it was a, a Twitter thread, you know, where he made these statements, and it went viral. You know, oddly enough talking about, you know, sort of this indictment of like the need to create viral content and how that's, uh, you know, being kind of foisted upon 
the bands who otherwise should in a perfect world. I mean, like he said, you know, how many songs aren't getting written because somebody's having to make content, you know, air quotes. And Eric brings up a lot of good points for us to dive into. And I think the, the big angle is especially as Eric put a focus on new bands who are trying to figure out how to make their way in this whole thing. Uh, but there's also something to be said for established bands and veterans who feel like they have to keep up and, you know, where that puts us. And at the risk of sounding uh, too uh, self-promotional, you know, Demon Hunter, the band that I've managed for the last several years, about to put out the band's 11th album. It's wow. their first fully independent record on their own label that they've started, that we've started together. And not only are these conversations that we're having all the time, but the record is a concept record that largely deals with technology and social media. The album's called Exile, and it imagines this future world where uh, the extremes of being plugged in and being totally unplugged uh, have created a, a conflict. and They imagine? Uh, a wasteland. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to imagine very much to, <laughs> to get there. But we're talking about this stuff all of the time, and literally right before we jumped in here, texting with uh, one of the guitar players from the band who produced the record, mixed the record, and is right now making a video for the Spotify canvas feature. Because if you put your song on Spotify, it's not enough just to put your song out now. You got to have a little looping six second video and somebody has to make those. And whoever makes those has to also understand all of the specs and all of the, you know, and the text exchange we were having right before I jumped on was me telling him, oh, you sent me a, a dot MOV. I need an, I need an MP4. It's 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 kicking it back from the Spotify backend, and yeah, this isn't stuff that artists are accustomed to having to think about, let alone being skilled at doing them. You know, and thankfully there are a lot of bands who take an interest in it and are able to figure it out or have teams around them who figure it out. But it is such a great question and such a important conversation for us to have right now about just all of this stuff, you know, getting back to Shinoda's original point of, and, and also, you know, other artists, Florence and the Machine, Halsey, uh, you know, groups that are adjacent to the genre we all love and work in have also raised this issue of like, you know, I don't want to have to make a TikTok video of me eating cereal to get people to pay attention to my song. And yet that is what's expected now. Hey, Mike, uh, you know, you work with Ice Nine Kills, um, a band that, right? Yes. Oh, I was about to say, I was like, <laughs> he made a face. So, um, uh, you know, a band that's doing very well and very tapped into kind of how do you connect to an audience um, through these virtual platforms and, and has done very well in kind of selling their thing uh, and, and, and found a way to connect. Um, What's your perspective? Because obviously you, you've seen probably firsthand how this, how embracing this, uh, this technology can really work for, for someone from a, from a business standpoint. I, I, I imagine there's a whole other experience when you're a manager or label where maybe there's uh, some resistance or maybe you've experienced some resistance that you can speak to. Yeah. I mean, you know, to me, the, it's no surprise that the tweet stemmed from somebody that's had a ton of success doing what he loves and is now being asked to do something that maybe he doesn't love so much. 
Um, I mean, if I was given the gift to do what I really love doing all day, every day, and somebody came in and said, well, that's not enough anymore. You got to do this other stuff. You'd probably sense a little bit more blowback. Um, but you know, I do, I've got a good spectrum. We've got ice night kills. And then of course the band Solence that you mentioned, which is a developing artist that Eric brought to me, you know, during the pandemic who, uh, their first live show in the time I've been working with them will be, uh, you know, uh, as we're recording this, it'll be tomorrow, you know, with five finger death punch. That's amazing. And they are a band that has embraced social media. And as things pivoted kind of from, you know, they had a good YouTube presence and, uh, decent Instagram. And, um, you know, as things pivoted to TikTok, they were like, put me in coach, like, show me what to do. Give me the best practices. And we're going to go and, and crush it. Um, because I think they're from a generation that sees the landscape and all of the avenues that are available and says, cool, this is what we got to do. Whereas I don't know, Mike Shinoda, I don't know, Florence and the machine. I don't know, Halsey. I got to imagine, and I don't, I've never managed any bands on that level. I got to imagine when you're on that level, you're being asked to do a ton because I manage Ice Nine Kills and Spencer is asked to do a ton all the time. And, you know, he's embraced Instagram. I'll tell you that. And TikTok has been slow to follow. We haven't embraced it in the way that maybe the label might want us to actually, let me take that back. Nobody's saying, Oh my God, you've got to go do all these things. What's been made available to us is information that says, here's the place that content's performing. You're great at content. Maybe you should focus some energies there. What I'm seeing is you've got a guy that feels really comfortable, you know, with this great defined, um, you know, uh, lane and he feels really comfortable promoting on Instagram and places like that. And TikTok's just not as familiar. You know, it's my job if we really want to embrace that and we think it's necessary to figure out how we can do so. So as Eric knows, I mean, one of the things that I pride myself in is, yeah, let's go find a solution. If it's not natural and Spencer hasn't embraced it yet, we've got to lead him to the water and hope that he drinks. And if he doesn't drink and we still think it's important, we got to figure out a way for it to continue to work. But, you know, the one thing that I think is got to be challenging for artists is what seems to work best is something authentic and something genuine on all of the platforms. There's no doubt that the tweet went viral because here's Mike Shinoda putting out something authentic and genuine, right? Yes. That's why it's connecting. And yeah, there's a lot of people that I, you know, again, I, I got to feel like they're being pulled in millions of directions. And uh, I think it's an interesting conversation to have. And, you know, I don't have the answer. I think in our last conversation, which was about kind of the sizes of bands, Eric made such a good point of, of like, well, are you paying your bills, right? <laughs> and in the case of these bands, I would say if you're paying your bills and you're not, in, you know, and you're not doing TikTok and you're happy, so be it, right? But yeah. in the case of Halsey, if I read that article, it's saying, oh, she can't release a single. The label is saying, no, we won't release your single until we've faked a viral moment. That's got to feel very frustrating right? To have created something. And I do it, you know, everything's a choice, right? No matter what we do in life, if we're doing A, we're not doing B. Um, so if we're off creating content or if the, let me put it this way, if the four of us are having this conversation, we're not doing something other professionally today, or maybe in your case, doc, 
artistically today, right? That's a choice that we have to make. I do appreciate that. Yes, maybe if you're if we did this all the time, our other career components would suffer, which I think is Shinoda's point, right? He's saying like, oh man, how many great songs are missing because people aren't allowing people to artists to hone their craft of songwriting and they've got to do, go do all this other stuff. That's a lot to say. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing more out of you, Mr. Coyle. <laughs> well, so obviously being, being an artist and also kind of a content creator, right? Kind of, you know, wearing like multiple hats. I have, I have a lot of converging and, and, and some degree almost conflicting opinions on it uh, because I actually think it's this reflection of hustle culture, right? Like I noticed with myself, because I'm ambitious, I go, I wanna make it and I wanna do well and I wanna be successful. So I'll throw myself into everything. All right, I gotta do TikTok, I gotta do whatever, I'll do whatever. And then I go and I go and I put stuff out there and I put myself out there and then I burn out and I get like depressed and I don't wanna post anything. Like I'm in kind of a phase like that right now. I haven't posted anything for like a week. And I just, just cause I, I just feel exhausted. I Sometimes I get tired of sharing my life with other people. You know, and I think that's like the the exhausting thing. And the problem with these formats, especially Instagram and maybe even and maybe to a lesser degree or, or maybe equal degree TikTok, is that it rewards narcissism. The people that um, have n like literally want to make their lives a public show and want attention, it rewards that stuff. So if you're a normal, well-balanced kind of someone who has like their ego in check and understands that, you know, what matters is my family and not some people across the, the world. And you go, hey, I, I need some distance from this because it's not healthy for me. We know this isn't healthy, right? This would be like 50 years ago if the label is like, hey, in, in order for you to be really successful, we're gonna need you to smoke about 20 cigarettes a day, right? Like we know this is bad for us, <laughs> but we're going, you, but you have to do this. So I get that aspect of it. But then to me, what's amazing about it is it's the first time probably since MySpace was really popping off that your marketing is basically 100% in your control. You do not have to rely on a gatekeeper to actually go out there. So you're really, if you have good music, if you have compelling personalities, um, charisma, and you kind of have a, a sense of how to make great content and entertain people or however you market it, you're probably gonna find an audience. And so it's, it is this double-edged sword of, if you have the will and kind of psycho want to, you know, like I'm gonna do anything to make it, here are the tools. On the end of it, you're probably gonna end up being a very mentally probably fucked up individual at the end of it, but it's like the price of success to some degree, right? It's like uh, some football player you know, who 20 years later, they're like punch drunk because they got tackled a few times, but that's what they had to do to become successful. But instead of, you know, getting hit by linebackers, people are getting hit by internet brain or whatever the hell that is. So that's kind of like my 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 opening kind of thoughts on it. Um, Eric, you kind of put the question out there, but you made a bunch of notes. Can you kind of answer your own kind of setup? Yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. Well, first of all, I want to just pick up on a couple of things. One of the things that I, I want to put out there is I talked to some kind of older timers uh, about this issue. 
prior to this podcast. And something I never really thought about, but they said this was the same exact issue when MTV came on the scene and video started happening. And artists were like, you mean I got to make a video? I don't want to make a video. I don't want to be on camera. I don't want to, uh, you know, and obviously everyone came around to that. And now these days, artists are like telling you they want to direct the, the, the film. You know what I mean? Like the, uh, the, this also, there was a time, remember when sync licensing, it was like a bad, super uncool thing to like license your song to a video, I mean, to a commercial uh, uh, or even in a film. But that said, look, at its core, music's an art form, right? That's what it is. And uh, great artists of our time, Leonardo da Vinci or Kurt Cobain, right? Probably wouldn't be too excited about making little goofy little clips on, on TikTok. But, you know, what we need to do is you got to think about how are you going to make something interesting? How are you going to generate people being interested in what you're doing? And yes, people are into, uh, uh, there are people that are fantastic songwriters, fantastic songwriters, great at it, not interested in dancing around on TikTok, right? Not interested in gimmicks and cheesy stuff. They just want to write songs. There are other people that are great guitar players, shred, amazing musicians, don't want to do the social media, don't want to do the, the brand building stuff. You know what then? Be a session musician. Go in a recording studio and play guitar. Or if you want to write songs, write songs for other people. Look, the biggest, best songwriters that aren't artists, you know what they do when they write a great hit song? They place it with the platform that's going to get the most eyeballs. If a pop star or a startup band is going to uh, both want to cut your song, they're going to want to go with the option that has that attention. Um, you know, it's the same thing if you love playing live, then, then go be on stage, be in the background, be, uh, and, but, but if you want to make your brand, you want to be the brand, you Doc Coyle or you Bad Wolves are the brand, then you got to get, you get, it's got to be interesting to people. And the question is, how are they going to find it? Are they going to find it just with great music? And which is of course ideal, or are they going to find it uh, through other things? And those other things don't have to be TikTok. Those other things could be a great theme or, or, or a gimmick or by doing something interesting that looks or comes at something from a different direction. But somehow people are going to have to be drawn to your music. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, unlike athletes where you could be just a great football player, but the Los Angeles Rams or the Las Vegas Raiders, it's already a brand. People are paying attention. You're not really needing to sell the tickets or drive the interest in the first place. You could be a great actor. And as long as it's not a tent pole for you, you're just in the film. You act in the brand, the studio markets, the film, right? When you're a artist or a band, you are the thing, right? This might be a product of the fact that we have too many artists, too many releases now, because in the old days, there was a curated thing, like if you got signed and you came out on a certain label, then, then everyone's automatically paying attention. But now you've got to cut through. I'm going to take, I'm going to kick it around the horn. I got lots more to say, but uh, let's hear from somebody else. I think Doc makes a great comparison with the smoking thing. I'd never thought about that. But yeah, it's very, very similar to if once upon a time, you had people in marketing telling you, you have to smoke. That's what everyone's doing now. Uh, we know it's bad for you. It's very similar. And I think, you know, I mean, look, the larger debate about social media in general and our culture uh, is that it, uh, 
it's great because it gives everyone a voice and it's horrible because it gives everyone a voice <laughs> you know it, it's it's a platform right it's a town square and it can be gamed and it can be algorithmed and that can all be you know to the benefit of culture and art and society and it can all be to its detriment and there is this sort of outsized view of its importance in a lot of ways you know the idea that twitter for example it's some small percentage of the population that actually has a twitter account and then out of that group of people an even smaller percentage within that that are actually actively using it and yet you know it gets this outsized presence in our culture because people are paying attention to what's being said on there um but i think it, in in a broader term you know the biggest point i would want to inject into the conversation at the outset is that idea that you know these things are tools right and and the wrong or right hands a, a, a chainsaw a gun you know can be a, a force for positive change or it can be you know absolute annihilation annihilation having said that a, a more granular thing that i thought about as you guys were talking something i ran into you know we're we're, we're all in an interesting place generationally because you know generation x we remember when you couldn't record something off your TV through VCRs, through Blu-ray DVD players, through DVRs, TiVo, you know, and, and because we have that sort of vantage point of watching how things change, you know, for me starting out as a reporter, you know, well over 20 years ago and going through uh, print, you know, I worked at a weekly newspaper, I've written for magazines. When I started working at MTV, the focus was very much still on broadcast there would even be a, a thing said in news meetings like, oh, that sounds like something for online. Well, that might be a good story for like the website. You know, that was where things went to die. You know, that's, that's where that's where they let me uh, write about Madball, <laughs> you know, um, because broadcast, that's where you put uh, a limp biscuit. And so watching all of that evolve, I can distinctly remember a moment in time in the broadcast world where hosts right and people that you see on like e the each channel or you know vh1 or whatever they looked for attractive people who had a certain style who were good on camera and in some cases that was the extent of all they looked for and then you had you know your kurt loaders and john norris and tabitha soren and people you know on the mtv news side who i was really proud to be associated with because they were actual journalists who knew their shit and had a point of view and, uh, you know, also check some of those boxes about being good on camera and, and so on. But there was a turn that I remember I, probably around, I would say, like 2005-ish, somewhere in there, where what I started hearing from people was, uh, we're looking for comedians. And anytime I would hear about like, oh, Yahoo is starting a movie show and they're looking for a, you know, movie person to host the movie show. And I would think, oh, I'm a... I love movies. I'm a little bit of an expert and I have, you know, this resume or whatever. And I would be told, well, we're, we want to cast a comedian. We need someone who's funny. And I understand that impulse because as a viewer, there's a lot of stuff that I like to write and listen. And I love comedy. Comedy's up there with me, music and film. I'm a huge fan of stand up and all these great podcasts that all these comedians are doing. And, and that's certainly important. But when it comes to rock music and metal i don't think we want all of our rock stars 
to be comedians. And that's a big problem with social media right now because that's the stuff that tracks. And, all, and you know, Doc. Hey, right, right. Before you, before you say it, just cut you off. I think it's really important that we like, we, I think we should specify that TikTok is the jumping off point for this. And I don't think it's actually fair to compare it to any, to Twitter, Instagram. I think t the funny thing and everyone be out there, like, I think we should really point out that this is about. Like, if it wasn't for TikTok, I don't think we'd be talking about Halsey, um, you know, Mike Shinoda and all this. You're, you're, so. you're, you're right. Although I would say that Snapchat really kind of started it. And sure. then TikTok, you know, Vine and whatever. But then, and then now Reels is, I mean, that's Instagram trying to it's get the same. The it's the same thing, though. You know, we're Reels moving is. Yeah. From a, we're moving from a text-based and then a photographic-based to an audiovisual world. Everything has to be audiovisual. Yeah, and, and, and this is the thing. Uh, this is the last thing I'll say, and I'll, I'll turn it over to somebody else. Uh, you know where I'm going with this whole comedian thing. You know, Doc introduced the word authenticity in the conversation. I think it's one that all four of us are going to be using a lot because it, it's it's so crucial here. And I think Eric, the comparison you made with the music video revolution is a very apt one. And this is something that I, I feel like I haven't seen yet, and I'm hoping we have artists that are about to crack the case. With music videos, you had artists from generations prior who some of them maybe weren't suited to that format. They weren't going to look cool in a music video. And then you had groups like, say, Duran Duran, who blew up, you know, largely because of the music video format and because they were so good at it. And eventually in that medium, you know, we've gotten everything from, you know, Nine Inch Nails videos and Tool videos to, uh, you know, corny, silly, disposable, throwaway stuff, everything in between. And I would like to think that this same sort of platform, whether it's TikTok or becomes, you know, something else, that it will eventually create enough room for people to get weird, for people to be cool, for people to be mysterious. Because I think a big thing that we're losing right now is we're asking certain artists who have a, a mystique or whatever to do skits. And this was a conversation that I was having with the guys from Demon Hunters. We were getting into this album cycle and there was people in their ears and in my ears about the need for TikTok videos and viral content and people wanting to see you be authentic. And I think, you know, even for a lot of these cats who have great senses of humor and might do well in a funny sort of skit, it's what about the overall brand and what about the longevity? You know, I don't want to see King Diamond being silly on TikTok. I want to think oh, that but, King Diamond... If I'm in charge of King Diamond's TikTok, imagine the fun you could have, right? Understanding the format, being very true to the brand, and doing super cool, intense, fucking weird... Uh, but but that's Diamond. the key, right? And, and is that... And correct me if I'm wrong, because maybe I'm just not seeing it because I'm not a, a big TikTok user. Has anyone figured out how to get weird and, and be spooky or cool or mysterious or, or have some mystique and leave, leave some mystery and some imagination? Because it seems like to me the things that artists are being told to do on TikTok are skits. Well, we were asked the same thing when it came to Instagram, right? I mean, nobody, artists like Spencer from Ice Night Kills, he didn't want to show you what he's having for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Right. And he hasn't had to, right? And he has been able to you know, craft uh, a, a narrative there that is, uh, I would say, in line with, you know, overall what he's trying to perpetuate. And, you know, I like it that you guys are talking about the music videos because it makes me think if, if 
and I wasn't managing artists when music videos came into form, but I got to imagine if I did go to an artist and say, we got to create a music video and you have to create all of it, we'd be screwed. Hmm. Right. And so the difference I think here is if I'm hearing Mike Shinoda correctly, it's like, I've got to come up with all of this. And to me, part of the way that we do all of the things for the artists that I manage is it's no, the pressure isn't just on the, the singer or the band itself. It does work better when they've got a vision, when they've got something that the rest of the team can come in. But, you know, if, if we're trying to develop a strategy and Spencer isn't necessarily interested in leading the charge, he hasn't come to me and said, Hey dude, here's what I'm going to do. I got to go and find people who I think might be able to get in a room with him and have a conversation about what things will work and then how can he be involved? Yeah. And, uh, you know, kind of, kind of just to, to, to pivot off, off that a little bit is this general idea that yes, these tools can be whatever you want them to be, right? Like if you approach social media with the same mentality and passion that you approach your music or that you approach to, hey, I have this vision for a music video or album art. There's no reason you cannot put that same energy and go, oh, well, everyone's doing this. Well, I'm going to use it like this. It's just a platform for me to present whatever the hell it is we do. But I can say when you're in the band and you do have management and labels and stuff, they do ask you to do shit, you know, and they, and they generally utilize other examples of things that have been successful. Oh, this band does this. Like, for example, you know, we're on the same, we have the same management as, as Papa Roach and have done some tours with them. And they've, they're one of the most successful bands on TikTok. And they've really leaned into the funny thing and the skit thing. And they, and so when people see that successful, they go, well, this is how you become successful. Or, you know, um, there are certain songs will go, oh, this song, people are covering this song. Um, do a cover of that. So it's very much a keeping up with the Joneses. It's not the 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 input you're going to get from a label or management is often not going to be about original ideas. It's about jumping on trends, which I mm. think feels a little like soulless. You know, um, it's inauthentic. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Ex exactly. Yeah. But the thing is, if, even the authenticity thing, I think is like kind of neither here nor there. Because I think yes, in 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 a vacuum, that sounds great. But there's also people who are good at f pretending to be someone else. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, faking authenticity is, is a skill that as long as you can create a good enough internet character that people believe is real, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? As long as it seems authentic, right? It's like... Authentic we, to the brand. Yeah, you know, just, um, yeah. one of but, the things I think is most... Uh, one of my favorite TikToks, like that uh, Spencer did, uh, or Ice Nine Kills brand or whatever was when he was getting ready for his silver stream. Uh, and there was that video of Nadia uh, dancing around, acting like an influencer, getting ready in the bathroom or whatever. And then out from behind the curtain comes the killer and just let, right? And, and anybody who's seen that, that's that's how you do it. That's how you do TikTok if you're Spencer from Ice Nine Kills, right? Um, but the, and but I Ice Nine is also very theatrical and, and has that satirical element where that, that work, that's like perfect for their brand. And Papa Roach, like you said, Doc, they've leaned into the TikTok thing and the comedic thing. For them, that could very well be super authentic. And that's just who they are. That's a side of who they are. 
Uh, yeah, I would just, I think that the only way that this is going to not feel gross in the long term or have any sort of longevity is if artists who don't have that. And to Mike's point, you know, with music video, it's like film directors showed up, you know, and people had treatments and ideas and had wardrobe and props and sets and all this other stuff. And to the Mike Shinoda point, it's like now artists are being told, like, go, <laughs> here's a phone, go make something super cool that fits all these parameters and checks all these boxes on top of all the other stuff you're being asked to do. But that's, it, it, but that's it, the key point. It's, it's not like all the other jobs went away. You just have more shit to do. Because now right. you're not only, right. you got to write your songs. Now you're expected to record all your stuff. You know, a lot, half the bands don't have budgets. They're, they're recording their own albums. Then you still got to do the videos, right? You still got to record your videos. You got, there are so many more responsibilities on, on top of it. And when you're lacking in any area, you're viewed as being lazy or that you don't mm -hmm. want it enough. And I think that's the point. And, and I, I would say like, it's really important to say with, uh, you know, um, Mike Shinoda, I don't think there's anyone telling him to do anything. He's not in an active band. He's independently wealthy. I, I really think he's speaking for other people. I, I don't too. think, you know, he's someone. It, it's, who like, it's like Lars and Napster. I don't exactly. think Lars was worried about Metallica's bottom line. Yeah. He was and worried about where this was going. You know, he's been amazingly successful at Twitch on his own. I don't think because someone told him to do that. I think he just liked the, the platform. So <laughs> I do think. Yeah, let's be honest about uh, what we're talking about here, too. When we're talking about TikTok, TikTok brings acts all the time, whether it's Kate Bush. But that was really because it was in Stranger Things, right? Or uh, uh, or uh, the Fleetwood Mac song because the Cran Ocean Spray Cranberry guy. Frankly, one of my uh, management clients and former students uh, started a record label. They have a guy named Nicky Yore, Y-O-U-R-E. He's got a song called Sunroof right now. And there's, it's one of the most uh, TikTok uh, uh, songs is, you know, six, seven million videos on TikTok uh, using this sound sunroof. Now, how much of this stuff has to do with um, you? TikTok is not like Instagram. When you open Instagram, you see the people that you're following. You see the photos. You have to go to that magnifying glass and then you see a page of other stuff it thinks the algorithm thinks you might like. TikTok's different, right? It shows you at first stuff it thinks you might like. And then you have to flip the tab over to the people you're following. And that key difference means that you could have a ton of followers on TikTok and not have much traction on a video. And you could come out of nowhere and it could go viral much more effectively. So let's just keep in mind, those are two, a sound being one that gets used on TikTok is different than you accumulating followers through your own videos on TikTok, right? Um, but the real issue for me is how are we going to discover new music? That's really what it comes down to. Is it going to be because it's in Stranger Things? Is it going to be because it's on TikTok? I'm just going to tell you this is super random anecdotal thing, but I'm a big music fan. I was playing around with music uh, over the weekend, Friday night, Thursday night. I was listening to the first, I listened to the Eddie Trunk podcast, right? Let's show my age, right? And on the Eddie Trunk podcast, I was listening to a guy named James Labrie, the singer of Dream Theater, talk about the fact he had a new solo album. And in this era, in the old days, I wouldn't go out and buy the James Labrie solo album, but I'm enough of a Dream Theater fan. The investment is next to nothing. So I pause the thing and I go listen to the James Labrie solo album. And I'm mad, ah, so it's cool, whatever. And then I see, oh, wait, there's a song, Ramble On. 
the cover from Led Zeppelin. And I said, oh my gosh, that Led Zeppelin, I, I love hearing Dream Theater do covers. Let me listen to Ramble On. And then I was like, eh, that's okay. But instead, I remembered one time I was in the studio at my friend Jim Kaufman's house, and he was recording a band called The Black Moods, and they were doing a cover of Thank You by Led Zeppelin. And that put the hairs up back on, my, on the back of my neck. So I type in Thank You on Spotify, and the first song I see is by Dido. And I uh, I wonder, is Dido, is that, the, I think she's the one on that Eminem song. Yeah. Yeah. Let me listen to that. Did she cover Led Zeppelin? And when I click that, it's not that, but it is the Stan sample. <laughs> so I start listening to that. The next thing you know, I'm listening to the entire Dido catalog, which I didn't know anything about. And I was like, I'm like loving it and, and discovering this for the first time. The album came out in 1999 and it's 2022. Do you want to wait for me to discover Dido? Because that could happen. Great music. I doubt Dido is on TikTok wiggling. Right. But, you know, do I do I want to wait for that? Do you want to just put it out there and hope that someone finds it that, you know, that's what I think artists are struggling with. I mean, the dude from Gym Class Heroes is now putting out a new solo album that I'm seeing pop up in places. And it's got to be because an old Gym Class Heroes song blew up on TikTok in the last couple of years. Uh, there, there's a Bring Me the Horizon song when you look at their streaming stats. One of their biggest streaming songs is from like is a song from like 2013 that got big on on TikTok. In the yeah, can you feel years. my heart? Yeah, yeah, that's the song. And, it's their I, yeah, it's their biggest, it's their number one streaming streaming song, which is crazy because it's not like the poppiest song they ever did or anything. It's because it's 100 TikTok driven, and I wonder in some of those instances. And this and this is the same thing with syncs and, and licensing. And of course, there's there's eating and there's getting paid and, and all that sort of thing. But I do I also wonder how much that stuff necessarily helps an artist in terms of their overall career. And I can tell you, Ryan, uh, representing Aaron Bruno and AWOL Nation, he has a song which is not even close to his biggest hit. His biggest hit is Sale, Diamond Certified, all of that, right? Got another song called Run and and you should see how well that does on TikTok and social media. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, but it, it's, it goes da, 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 run. Na, 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 na. And like, there are so many videos of that. And I see, you know, how that manifests itself in terms of his bottom line. And I promise you uh, it's worthwhile. No, I'm, 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 I'm saying aside from that though, like the idea that an artist wants to be known as we're talking about bands and, you know, solo artists and stuff like that who want to be an artist that can go out and play shows and have a merch, but the whole overall thing, not just, can you, can you, I know you can monetize a song by getting it in stranger things. I'm just saying like someone taking your song and remixing it and doing all the stuff people do on TikTok and it blowing up and you getting paid, you know, from that great. But I, I don't, I wonder how much that's helping some of these artists career wise, hey, you know, okay. Hey, Mike, I have, a, I have a question for you. If we were four 25-year-olds, how different would this conversation look? <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't know if I know the answer to that, but I would imagine it looks quite different, right? Would, would, would we just be, do you think we'd generally just go, this is the cost of doing business? Or, and I think one thing, again, why I think TikTok is so different is that from a, um, you know, just an interface standpoint and the mechanism of how it works, I feel it's the first, like, uh, you know, generation divide where if you're below over a certain age, 
it's it's just a little more alien to how your brain works, you know? Yeah, I think you're correct in that. I also think that the the point, right, of Shinoda's tweet is spending your time doing all this content-based stuff, it comes at the expense of creating a great song potentially. Yeah. Right? And I do think that entertainers music entertainers in particular at that younger age, just see it completely differently. Right. Like Ryan pointed out, we're Gen Xers. I think that's what he said. I don't know what generation I am. I'm a millennial. All right. I just call it old. Right. I'm an old millennial. I, every day, you're on the cusp doc. Every day I show up to work thinking that like the way that I was raised and the way I see things has its advantages and it has its disadvantages, right? The advantages are cool. I've got some experience. I've watched other trends come along and things come and go. And I've watched quality content usually win out over time. Um, But I also have to accept that. Yeah. I mean, there's, I think that there is a generation of people that this is just, it's just their nature, right? They're, they want to create content. They don't even see it as creating content. They're living their lives with a phone in their hands, right? We're sitting here saying, oh, it's about creating content. And they're like, that's not what I'm doing. I'm actually just living. And the phone is a natural extension of what I do. So why is it, why are you old people sitting around and talking about it? <laughs> so, so you, 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 you use a very important phrase there. And I, I had to write it down. Music entertainer. And I actually think what's happening is we're doing, it's like, we're literally, you you talk about make America great again. We're going back to the 1920s. Okay. We had the pandemic, right? We did that. And now it's, it's, it's a hundred years ago, which is like, when I see this stuff, it reminds me of like minstrel shows, like the person coming out there with like that little, that little hat and they got their, you know, they're tap dancing and they got their cane and they're, you know, and, and back then it was like, you had to sing, you had to dance, you had to tell jokes, you had to be a host, you had to do everything. And what I think there's, you know, we had this golden period basically between like the mid sixties and pretty much the mid two thousands where you could actually be a musician and being an entertainer was this other thing, right? You could just, I'm a musician, right? Would you call like Neil Young an entertainer or is he like a musician? Was Bob Dylan a musician or an artist or an entertainer? Like, I don't think those guys read themselves that way. And now the expectation is you're kind of either like really not allowed to be an entertainer or you just can't have it both ways, right? It's like, and in my mindset is like, you don't have to do anything. Just don't complain if you're not having the success that you like. So it's it's this between a rock and a hard place type. Yeah, of. think of this. Think of how many people are out there trying to be Bob Dylan right now. Bob Dylan was a great, one of the greatest songwriters that ever lived and maybe not such a great singer, right? But he was such an amazing songwriter and there was probably less noise competing with it to get noticed, right? So he, he became what he became. Today, if you're uh, like I, the the metalcore band in the warehouse with the light bulb swinging from the ceiling, playing in your jeans and t-shirts, and you have breakdowns and a singer and a screamer, right? How are you going to get noticed? Why do I want to? When it's just as easy to click on on one thing as another, how do I become invested in you, right? And 
the, the really, I, I really think this is because of the internet that we're in a situation where you have to do more to get noticed. But I noticed that brands are becoming individuals as well, right? Travis Barker is one of the coolest brands in this world. Jacoby Shaddix, even though Papa Roach, uh, or, or somebody like Jairus Johnson, or, or uh, Sick Brain, or Zero, Nine, or, you know, whatever. These are, these are becoming the, the individuals. Doc Coyle, dare I say. Ryan J. Downey, dare I say, right? You guys become, you're in a band, Doc, but you, you are a thing. You're, that transcends, you do all sorts of different things. And in this world where people are jumping on different songs and featuring this and multimedia that, um, I wonder if the brand just becomes the individual. I mean, I, I certainly think of, of Bad Wolves as a thing that, and, and granted I'm biased because I've known him for such a long time, but I think of Bad Wolves as a thing Doc does as opposed to like, oh, it's Doc from Bad Wolves. I just think of him, he's Doc and he does all kinds right, of Right, but Nine Inch Nails is Trent Reznor, yeah. right? But and that's also, me. but that's kind of a, it's good and bad because I, I've like lately, and it's like probably something I'll talk about the show, show is like, Bad Wolves is in the middle of getting ready for another tour and like working on this album cycle and all the work that comes with that. But then we started writing a new album. And for the first time in a while, I'm like, I feel like, you know, other activity, you know, doing the podcast and working on, you know, I have a God forbid reunion and shit like that, where I'm like, I feel like it's taking away from the work I have to do with Bad Wolves, you know, where you go, you got to make that choice. Like, hmm. Do I, is it time to put this up, you know, retire this for a minute so that I can just do this? Because, you know, part of me wonders, like I think about, you know, the, when God forbid was at its peak, right? As a cr creative force and it was completely focused. It's like, I didn't have anything else in my life except that band, right? We got in a room, there was nothing, there was no other thing to distract from that. And I go, I don't think you can truly do anything great if you've got, your head in, in 50 different pots, you know, like, like, like you kind of, you know what I'm saying? Like, like there's an obsessive. Isn't that element. Mike Shinoda's point? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think when you Wouldn't boil it, it down be better to if, if we created a culture and a society where the greatest songwriters could just sit and write songs and the greatest singers could practice their craft singing. Right. And they didn't have to be everything all at once. And guess what? The music industry actually became that, right? Because do you really, really, really care if your favorite brand band brings in an outside co-writer to help them write a song, you know, some, and maybe, some people do. I don't, you know, I I, in the seventies though, in the eighties, when Metallica came up, it was wrong for a metal band to bring in outside co-writers. It was, it was shamed, right? So you had to pretend that Desmond child didn't write your hits kiss or Aerosmith or whatever, or maybe you didn't, maybe he was where it changed, but, but uh, you know, like some people are better at some things than others, no doubt. And, if they were, as Mike said at the beginning, if you're left to, to focus on what you're too, truly great at, that's great. And by the way, I don't need to see a bunch of comedy videos from guys in rock bands sometimes. Maybe they're not that funny, but uh, you know. That's yeah. just I've seen I've seen some that literally like, I just see like, like you know, just this, <laughs> there, was, there was this, oh, I forget the name of the, uh, Ari Spears, he was doing a, he was doing an, uh, the comedian was doing an impression of Paul Mooney and he was talking about Magic Johnson. <laughs> Like just basically like when you grin, you win. He's like, he's like his smile. It's huge. It goes from temple to temple about this. Just like everyone's just like, look at me. And so it's just like, it just, it's like the, the, 
I see some people doing it, and it's just like just sticking your ass out for the camera, man. It just feels <laughs> like we're, we've lost dignity. Can we say yeah. that? But, but then again, yeah. then again, I laughed out loud for real, only for a microsecond. But this morning, I watched your former drummer Corey. What uh, it, he's talking about moving to Vegas. Now having grass in Vegas is for rich people, right? You know, yeah, like, but Corey is said, a comedian who just happens to right. be a drummer. So, you know, that's it. <laughs> he's like, he's like, you know, like, look at the poor people. They just got rocks in New York. You know? <laughs> like, back it up. I mean, Doc, you bring up an interesting, an interesting point. I mean, there are some people, Magic Johnson being one of them, that for whatever reason, they've got it all, right? He's blessed with this amazing smile. And, you know, if you watch that documentary that came out recently, I mean, he tenaciously worked at playing basketball, but he's also grew to be six foot nine. Like he just kind of had all of the combination that made him so great, you know? And then, yeah, of course. I mean, the easy way out, right. Is to say, Hey doc, Papa Roach is doing funny stuff on TikTok. You do funny stuff on TikTok. If I'm a manager and I'm going to an artist, I'm just saying like, do something right. Here's the platform. <laughs> Do something. Do something. <laughs> well, I mean, really, it's like get out there and find what works for you. And I do think that that's one of the problems with artists is, especially if you've had some success over here, it's hard to start and take a chance and do something where you might fumble and you might fail. Um, but what I do, right, is, is yeah, I mean, with anything, with music, I mean, all the music musicians that I've managed, all of them were emulating somebody else until they found their own lane. I mean, talk sure. to Spencer from Ice Night Kills. He he will tell you that back when he wasn't having this success, it's because he was following what others were doing and trying to replicate it. And he wasn't doing it as well as they were, or it wasn't breaking through in that way. And where things really changed is when he doubled down on his own vision and his own style. And part of that just came with trial and error, right? And he stuck around. He was in the game long enough to get the chance to find what was truly going to work for him that actually connects with people. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. I think I want to bring up something that Doc brought up at the the start of the conversation that I think is key here and speaks to, 
you know, like you were saying, some of your soul searching going into a new battles record is the hustle culture and how that is just draining and destroying this idea that you, you know, no days off and grind, rise and grind. And, you know, this whole like rah, that's out there in our culture that is definitely infected this end of the music business. And I'm and guilty of it too. I'm no, like, me too. I mean, we all are. I mean, like, I mean, you know, I'm the guy where you can name all the things I do. <laughs> I mean, you know, and I like to think on days when I'm looking at the glass half full, I, I think that all of those things overlap and intersect in ways that support each other, you know, and that put me in conversations like this one. You know, I have a different relationship with all three of you based on different things we've all worked on together that, that on a piece of paper might appear separate and yet intersect and, and actually support each other for my own overall career that puts me sitting here talking to all three of you. Uh, ha having said that, I, I something I, I hadn't thought about, and I'm so glad we're having this conversation because it, it really just occurred to me as we're all talking this through, thinking out loud, I think a lot of the, the questions that we have and the questions that are being raised by Mike Shinoda and Halsey and, and Florence and the Machine come down to the age old question, whether it's hip hop, whether it's metal music, rock, any genre of compromise, how much, you know, when you, dignity is a great word and the, and, you know, minstrelry and, and vaudeville and feeling like we have to, you know, shuck and jive and, and do all this tap dancing. How much are you willing to compromise to have that success? How, how corny will you be? You know, I mean, it's the Deftones, a, a band I'm sure we all love. You know, when you think about uh, when rap metal was at its peak and they did a remix of one of their singles with a rap verse on it, you know, hadn't done it before and I don't think have done it since. And uh, yeah, that, that video got a lot more airplay. Um, Ryan, look at look at uh, uh, Ozzy Osbourne circa volume four Black Sabbath and then look at him in the shot in the dark video. Right. Or look at uh, look at Jesus Priest. Yeah, but I mean, but also now he's, he's six and then look at the turbo lover video or parental guidance or how they're dressed right and as a guy who lived through that man as i was uh grew up listening to ozzy and priest and 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 maiden and dio and then got into metallica and slayer but still liked those old bands but had to watch them come out in like glitter tops and teased up hair and stuff oh, man it was painful and that's what i i'm thinking about when you're talking about yeah or, or or you know you could put a modern spin on it and and go you know Ozzy making a record a couple records ago without his band, uh, you know, with Post Malone and all these other folks, you know, uh, it, it, and part of it, I mean, I don't want to get too far in the weeds in a conversation about artists that evolve. I mean, right. I mean, I like, I'm one of the people that likes Judas Priest Turbo. I like Metallica's load. You know, there's these periods. I like the music. I'm talking about the way they look in the videos. Yeah. But, I, but, I, but I'm talking more in general about the, those paths that you can choose as an artist, you know, um, or you can look at actors and the roles that they choose, right? You know, the the actors who've had opportunities to be boring and choose to go a more creative path and, you know, do the art house film or, or do the confrontational weird thing. They could have, you know, been a leading woman or a leading man. Uh, I, I think it, it kind of gets back to that age old thing of, you know, do you want to be on TikTok? Do you want to be shaking your butt on TikTok? Do you want to be a comedian? Do you want to do skits? And a lot of that comes down to if that stuff doesn't come natural to you, then it, the question becomes how much are you willing to compromise? And knowing that you 
are very likely foregoing, whether it's short-term success, whether it's financial success, whether it's fame, it gets back to those age-old questions of making a conscious choice of like, okay, look, I know I'm not going to be as rich and famous as, and successful as I maybe could be if I did these things I'm not comfortable with, but I'm just not going to do those things. And I'm going to just, you know, and... When, when Fake No More, the real thing blew up and it was ridiculously huge, all of a sudden it came back with Angel Dust. Exactly. Listen to that record, man. Exactly. And that was Amazing. a punch. And we're never the same fame again, right? And or, the thing is, is, is you could you could argue, and at the time, especially, that they could have continue to you know compromise or whatever or gone more mainstream however you want to put it and had more success but i would argue and maybe this is me uh you know maybe i'm misguided in this and maybe i, I you know this is the hill i've chosen to, to die on but i would argue that we're still talking about faith no more now because they chose not to compromise and because they swerved and and didn't do what what was easy and what was expected and what that's where the artists who really have longevity that's where they Pearl Jam, the biggest wow. band in the world, sues Ticketmaster or Metallica sues uh, Napster. Pearl Jam, the biggest band on MTV, says we're not going to make music videos anymore. Remember, there was a whole period at their peak, at their commercial peak, where they just didn't remember make it. when Metallica wouldn't make a video, and it wasn't until one, which they didn't even appear in. Their, when did their they first album. appear in a video? Oh, they're oh, they're in the one video, but it has like oh, right. people talking in it. From Four different. Because, I mean, it was well, a very there's, there's a few different versions. What's that? There's a few different versions of the of the one video. There's the jamming version they call yeah. it. That's just the performance stuff. Uh, but yeah, they didn't, and they were able to succeed without radio, without MTV, and all the things that artists were told they had to do in the '80s to make it. If you want to be a metal band and make it, you got to tease your hair and wear you know leopard spandex and write songs about chasing girls. And Metallica didn't do any of that, and outlasted so many bands that did, including the ones who succeeded doing those things more in the short term. So I want to ask Mike Mowry, what, what, uh, Doc asked Mike a question before. He said, if we were all 25 years old, what would, how would the conversation be different? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a spin on that. Mike, if we were all 25 years old trying to make it in a band and we were asking you for advice and we said, should we be mysterious and cool and stay off social media and make that our thing? Or should we go dive head first into social media? How do we get people here on yeah, you dive head first in. That's the simple answer to that. You know, why would you limit yourself? It's like if it, you were 25 years old in the 90s, in the early 90s, and somebody said, do we put out a press release or do we not put out a press release? Right. I think Doc uh, or, or Ryan, well, both of you have talked about, I mean, these are just tools. They're tools to use. And, you know, to me, I think, uh, I think you've got to use them. To the best of your ability and i respect doc's point i love that you've got the experience that you can come and share with us which is yeah it's exhausting and i think the great uh challenge of every artist right over time is to find the balance in their lives going back to the smoking and drinking you know artists that that was part of their culture that was part of the allure when i'm a 14 year old kid and i'm watching you know motley crew uh, on MTV, I wanted to be that, but left taken to extreme, it almost killed them. Right. This is a very different version of that, but in some senses, trying to do everything, trying to hustle nonstop 24 seven has definitely almost killed, you know, many of the artists that we know. Uh, one, one, one kind of 
point I want to kind of put like a not, not that I'm ending it or putting a bow on it, but but something that kind of encapsulate how I feel about this whole thing. And this really ties to like the Halsey thing, which is she's speaking directly to pressure put on her by her label, right? Which speaks to this idea that once you decide to sign with a label, once you decide to have a manager who's relying on a percentage and lawyer and so on and so forth, now you have it's harder to make the choice where you go, hey, I'm going to make the choice that I'm probably going to make less money in the short term, right? The artistic choice that I'm going to, this is going to hurt our quote unquote business, right? That's, that's harder to do when you have people who rely on your business to like pay their bills or like, you know, if you're a label and you want to uh, maximize profit or something. And so I believe like Halsey should be able to go, hey, I don't want to do this and she doesn't have to do it. But that's a reflection of kind of the devil's bargain of signing a record label and having to kind of deal with that. But the flip side of that is I think all artists should behave as if they were, they had no one. It's like, what would you do if you had no label, no manager, no one telling you what to do? How would you get yourself out there? You'd probably be doing all this shit, right? What else would you be doing? Like, is it, is it, is it less dignity going on TikTok and putting up you singing a song or you, you know, playing the same song at the bus station for passersby? Like which, and I'm not trying, and I'm not uh, saying that to like disrespect. Or flyering on Sunset Strip. I was just thinking about that, yeah, but the flyers up. And trying to suffer through a bad conversation to try to kiss the ass of someone to buy them a drink so they can do something. But what I would say is like, for people like Halsey, who I I think is, you know, is a pop star who has a lot of artistic credibility, made a very like cool artistic record, um, is like, well then maybe don't, have a record label. Why can't she, you put, I mean, I don't know how many, maybe she's stuck in some super long deal and is kind of screwed on that. And I, I don't know, but maybe don't have a label, you know, do it yourself, do it the way you envision promoting your music and want to get your music out there. Like have it, you know, try and, you know, and that may be, like I said, maybe easier said than done, but wouldn't it be great if she wants to be more independently minded to go, Hey, if I want to put out a song, I'm going to put out a song and I don't have to go through a bunch of people because I'm sure she can afford to produce her own music and distribute her own music and all of that. Um, like I said, I don't know the details of that, but I think you should have both. You should have the people who go, I'm going to make a decision that supports how I feel that, that I feel like I have my integrity, even if it means I'm going to make a little less money or a lot less money. I'm okay with being a starving artist. If, if you're not known at all, how do I find you in the first place? Exactly, but that's what I'm saying. But the other end is, if you, what would you do? Like, the, I think we're talking about is pressure from people who rely on your your success to make a living or for their business to thrive. In, 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 in that regard, I think you shouldn't have, you shouldn't invite that investment, whether it's time or equity or emotional or authoritative or literal uh, uh, equity. You shouldn't invite the managers, the labels, the business, make it a business. You should invite that into your thing until you have a business, until you figured out what that business is and, you know, how you want it operated. And of course, if you're fundamentally at odds with how to operate the business, I always tell people back in the day, Wrigley Field didn't have lights. So they couldn't play baseball games at night. And some people would say you'd make more money, Chicago Cubs, 
if you or the Tribune company or whoever owned the Cubs, if you'd put lights up in Wrigley Field. And so there could be night games. You could be on television. And there was actually a, a case I read in law school about the owners of the Cubs getting sued by like shareholders about whether, you know, this fight about whether to put lights in Wrigley Field. And they're saying just because you think that it's cool and nostalgic and sort of different and artistic, let's call it, to keep Wrigley Field only to have day games, that doesn't mean your job is to maximize the share, the value of the shareholders, and your job to do whatever you can to get revenue. So you're not running the company effectively. Like, and so that's the thing. Don't make it a business where you're inviting that kind of equity and, and therefore that kind of input unless and until you're ready to, or, or if you're running a, an artistic, like a museum or a, a, a charitable, this, or, you know, the opera house or, 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 you know, Tom Waits or whatever kind of business you want to run, just make sure you've got those people with those expectations saddled to your. your. And, and there is an argument to be made that, you know, like your Wrigley Field example, maybe in the long term, it would have made more money by being the big major, you know, baseball place without lights and people who think that that's cool would have fed into it and grow. You know, I, I think about Raging Against the Machine is a great example because, you know, to the punkest to the punk rock, it was a, an inherent compromise that they were on a major record label, that they would do interviews with MTV, that they would be on the cover of Rolling Stone, you know, all the stuff that was seen as, as corporate and as compromise. And yet I think we can also point to Rage and a bunch of places where they didn't compromise. And where they they chose very tactfully and to keep the dignity and the integrity of the message they had and the the platform that they were building, you know there were there were things that they still didn't do, you know that other bands did do and that you know could have been seen as better for them if they had done. It. And I know that you know sitting here in in twenty twenty two, how disappointed and sad I would be if I saw, you know, Morrissey or Zach De La Roca making a skit on TikTok. I'd be bummed out, you know, as much as I love Morrissey, I don't want to see him doing that. And I don't, and I can pretty confidently say he never would. Uh, could he get more fans? You know, if he was more cooperative with labels and managers and not, all the people he clashes with over the years, would he be bigger? Sure. But I also think part of his legacy is that the people who, you know, I mean, that gets into a whole other conversation about would you rather have a uh, hundred Fairweather fans right now or 10 diehard fans your entire life. And, you know, I've, I've always been the option B person, even if that's to my own detriment, you know? Yeah, those are all great points. I mean, I think it's a little challenging to say to an artist that, you know, uh, is evolving through the system and things do change and say, well, because something's changed and you don't want to participate in it, then you should have just not bought into any of this, you know, along the way. I think it's okay for artists to question what they're being asked to do. I also think it's okay for labels and managers who, yeah, I mean, are making a living. I mean, they're making investments as Eric stated, whether it's money or time. You know, I think it's okay for uh, for those entities to to guide artists and try to put them in the best position possible to maximize their exposure. Um, 
you know, Eric, we talk often about, you know, many of your clients, some of whom have great tracks and, you know, the label, it's not even talking about um, the social media content. It's, hey, find somebody that they can collaborate with that has a larger audience that we can tap into. And until that's done, the song won't get released. Like, is that fair or not? I mean, my understanding is the genuine approach from the people asking them to do that is we're trying to allow you to get the most exposure possible, you know, and, and, and at some point you just know some things aren't going to really move the needle and you know, there are a lot of work you get asked by your artists all the time. Like, you know, can you do X, Y, or Z? And sometimes there are those times where you like, this is going to be a ton of work. It's really not going to accomplish anything. I think releasing a song out into the wilderness right now without any kind of anything to hang a hat on, if you don't have the followers on social media or on Spotify or whatever, and you don't have the other big drivers, whether it's a big tour or a big sync or great social media or some kind of marketing campaign, you're, you may just be wasting it. Like it's just a wasted exercise. It may feel artistically good. It made the few hundred thousand people, that like it. And by the way, I sound like that small. If I had a hundred thousand people that liked what I had to say, that would be incredible. But the, uh, in the way that music is monetized, right. Having a hundred thousand plays on your song is not going to pay anybody's bills. So it's just how much do you really expect an investor to invest in that? If that's the goal, right. Now, if you have a hundred million plays on the song, that's a whole nother ball of wax and that's a whole nother level of investment. And so, yeah. I think the doc's question about, you know, back in the God forbid days, it was God forbid was, was all you worked on. I, I could also argue that working on multiple different things and having different revenue streams as lawyers and managers and record labels and booking agents, you know, no one questions like, uh, you know, Hey, our booking agent, why do you book 20 bands? You should just be booking us. You know, I, I think that there is a certain, degree of of purity that you can put into each thing when it isn't your sole source of income and your and your whole livelihood you know i I think that you could hopefully be able to make decisions for the x-man podcast or bad wolves creatively artistically about what you want to do and what you don't want to do because you have the other thing propping it up and that's a great point yeah and i think oh go ahead eric I was just going to say, I mean, I think the other thing that we'll never know, right, is you were of a certain age. You were 25 at that time. And so that was, you know, all of us were probably so much more laser focused and hyper driven about whatever we were doing at that time. We didn't have the distractions of life, family, you name it, let alone other enterprises. And um, that's my point of, you know, 25 year olds with the phone just being an extension of who they are. I think like it's, it's just not the question. It's not, Oh, I've got to do this instead of that. It's like, this is what they do. Um, yeah. And so you can let's argue, think, yeah, go ahead. Doug. No, I'm just saying you could argue it's the most important thing. It's more important than live shows. It's more important than the music videos. It's like, you can pretty much formulate your whole business from social media. You almost don't need anything else. Right. I mean, obviously all that other stuff helps, but it's probably, it is probably the number one driver. I mean, it's incredibly hard to become a successful artist. It's incredibly hard to sustain a career for a long time. 
you know, you have to have so many things that come together. You guys just talked about Metallica. Ryan talked about Rage Against the Machine. Of course, they broke up uh, and came back, but it is so hard to do, <laughs> you know, and I think as a manager, I try to develop the totality of an artist to keep it afloat. So it's got a chance to sustain itself despite the trends over a long period of time, you know, how, you know, only time will tell how many of these artists, I mean, I've gotten pitched so many bands or, or artists that are huge on TikTok, right. Huge somewhere. And then what is it materialized to, you know, because you got to have so much more than that to occur time after time, after time, after time, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, in order to be a successful career artist. Yeah. Do you want you want the best songwriter and the best guitar player and the biggest TikTok platform all to come together into one project? And guess what? Most of the time, if that's done artificially, it doesn't coalesce in an authentic way that anyone gives a shit about. Right. But it's just like a basketball team. Right. I could have the best shooter and I could have the best big man. But the, do they play well together? Is there a chemistry? Right? Well, super so super groups. Yeah, yeah. I mean, most super groups amount to nothing. Yeah. People, th people always think it's going to be, you know, one plus one is going to equal two. And sometimes it's one plus one equals, you know, a one fourth. But <laughs> as, as we get in the end too, I want you guys to think what, what, how does this relate to the next big one? And what do you think the next big one is? Is it the metaverse? Is it NFTs? Like do artists need to put out NFTs? Do they, do they need to build a, uh, a house next to Snoop Dogg's in the well, metaverse? I feel like that's, almost too big to kind of like couch in couch in this. Maybe that, that should be the next. That's our next one. Yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah. because we'll, we'll bring Matt from Avenged on that episode. Yeah. Because I think the, the thing it's funny, we've talked all this time about TikTok, but we didn't actually talk about what it's, you know, there's so much data now about how just terrible it is for young people and their brains and what it's, you know, TikTok brain, what it's kind of doing to people, the kind of, intrusion and data collection by the Chinese government and all this stuff of what no TikTok. I mean, that's, that's who owns the thing. I mean, it's, there's a, there's a, I think we might be looking, even though, you know, cause we're looking from the perspective of, of people have invested interest in having success in the music industry, but the cost for that uh, might've been that we actually were, using this tool that was actually pretty insidious <laughs> in terms of its aggregate just, effect. On just as watching TV at one time was bad for young children, right? Violent video games, Too much bro. TV. Post yeah. Columbine, right? Yeah, or, or maybe the wrong kind of TV, right? Like maybe, you know, if you're watching PBS for a few hours, that's not the same as watching, you know. Nobody's watching know. PBS for a few hours, Doc. You know, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just saying there's, the, the, you know, if, you know, it, I, I would more consider it like, TikTok is a channel on TV as opposed to TV itself. But, but, you know, but anyway, so like, I feel like we, there was so much missing even, even there that we didn't, we didn't get into. I don't, I don't, by the way, I don't mean to cut you off. Oh yeah, no, totally doc. If that's too much, but I also will point out, I got something sent to me from a web uh, Facebook page called Kings of ANR that says, is the personal brand beginning to die? For the last decade, everything was a brand from a person to a dog. Even if you could monetize a video of a squirrel, would it be worth it? The new generation is choosing a life of anonymity because they learned that having a public profile isn't all glitter and gold. 
And it goes on and on and talks about how a lot of young people are opting out of this bullshit too. Yeah. I mean, there's a pendulum effect that always happens. Things go a little too far and it's going to swing back the other way. And again, as like an artist manager, I'm trying to, you know, put the bumpers on the bowling alley when you're a little kid and make sure that, you know, we're not going into the gutter. It's like, you know, yeah, we've got to experiment. We've got to use what tools are available, but we can't live and die by any single one of the tools themselves. Yeah. I, w- I wanted to, I had one kind of point that I, I, I thought of to kind of, you know, tack on my, my original point about the Halsey thing um, is I think from the artist's perspective, I think what artists don't want to feel like is to feel exploited, you know? And I think that's something where I think from the artist's perspective historically was, oh, I'm the artist, I make music, I do concerts, whatever, that's my job, I do press. And then I bring in all these other people to do work to help make that better. But now I think artists, a lot of artists feel like, oh, what the label is telling me, you, hey, my advice to you is you do a bunch of more work. I'm gonna sit back and hang back, hang out while you do a bunch of TikTok shit while I'm gonna go on and have brunch. And I think, <laughs> you know, and I think it's like half kind of bullshit, but also half kind of true. Where it's not only that once you have the, the artist in the fold that you're gonna go, hey, my plan for you is you just do everything to make your career blow up. You you figure that out. <laughs> You figure it out. But where but, would think about think about where would Dragon Force be? Dragon Force before Herman Lee started getting on Twitch and YouTube, uh, you know, or Dragon the, Force today? I don't know if you pay attention. Well, sure, to but they had, no, and, they, they had gold was, records before that, though. <laughs> so it was like they I, were nobody. I, I, I thought of I thought of him actually as we were talking about this, and he's great, obviously. And you guys might have a better handle on this than me, but for as successful as Herman Lee Dragon Force brand is right now, Twitch, YouTube, guitar instructional stuff. You know, I, I watched a video where he had uh, Tosin from Animals as Leaders and one of the dudes from Polyphia uh, come in and they did that same Dragon Force song from Rock Band that everybody knows. Is there a Dragon Force independent of that now? Like, is Dragon Force but a I'm band? I'm saying everything like, is becoming a one-person situation. No, I'm... I, I'm saying I'm glad for him that he's transformed himself into that. And it's a, it seems to be a viable, sustainable thing in that realm. But in terms of like that doing something to make Dragon Force like a big metal band. Yeah, I think they're doing great. Actually, I know. I, mean, I, 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 I honestly don't know. I'm no, asking. they are. They are doing great. They're they, and they, this show, the, the live shows are all like, you know, totally leans into that Internet video game. Uh, culture with production and all of that. It's yeah, crazy. it's cool. It's really but I, cool. I, I will say, look at, speaking of uh, guitar players, look at Nita Strauss. She's proved, she had a number one song four weeks in a row. Uh, she didn't even have, she's she's just a guitar player, right? When she has a band, but like, you know, you don't, if you're in that world for guitar players, Doc, I think guitar has been saved by all of this YouTube, TikTok, uh, you know, for young people. For and sure. I think that these these guitar brands and these uh, individuals, that's really what it's coming down to. Individuals that do social media are getting uh, a new kind of way to connect with people. I mean, that song uh, from Polyphia, I did, I did their bio uh, for this new record and that playing God song is amazing. And I'm not even like an instrumental rock type fan. And they have a really cool video for it that's really slick and showcases the individual personalities and looks of of all the people in the band 
And then when you, and because I watched that music video, the YouTube algorithm is, is showing me like, here's an acoustic version. Here's this other version. Here's just one of the guitar players doing the whole song by himself. Here's the other guitar player doing the whole, like it's, I mean, it is, it's content. But I would say in their case, um, they, even though they're, they're making all that content, it all has a certain vibe, a certain look. And I feel like there's still a mystique. You know, I don't, I don't really see those dudes uh, you know, making themselves clowns for, for the likes. <laughs> so dignity has another authenticity and dignity are my two favorite words that well, I don't, I mean, I, yeah, I know we've talked about wiggling and clowning and comedy. I don't think that you've got to do those things in order to have a successful TikTok account. I think that those are the trends that maybe doc was alluding to, to me, it's just, there's a way to craft having that presence on there. And you might not get the spikes uh, that are following the trends immediately, but I'd imagine those guys have TikTok accounts. And if they don't, I'd imagine they could do what they do with some of that mystique and it would work just nicely. So but, go, go ahead. ahead sorry. Oh, no, I was, I was just <laughs> saying like, we, we, we know we, we, we know we have some older artists that are established that I can basically choose to opt out, right? If you're Maynard from Tool, you don't have to do shit, right? Your shows are sold out. You're fine, you know. You're you're doing you're doing just just fine. Um, is that an option for anyone now? Like, there's there is there a band like where they go like maybe the band has has a social media, but no, but each individual's like, no, nah, we're not doing that. You know, we'll do it through, we'll do it through the band, but you know, we're just going to be back. Like, does that even exist? Can that exist anymore? Is it's hard to be, have mystique if no one knows who you are. True, but that's the ultimate mystique. <laughs> it's to truly be anonymous. This is more blacker than, than black or whatever, right? That's right. We're playing, we're playing a secret show that it's so secret, no one is there. <laughs> I mean, there's probably lots of great songs that none of us have ever heard, right? Sure. Like truly great songs and no matter what the generation of music, like there's an industry behind it that has figured out ways to cut through and, you know, have it connect with people. And I think, yeah, the dilemma here is that has been taken away. As you said, the gatekeepers have kind of been pushed to the side and now the artists seemingly feel more responsible and, you know, to, to find that way on their own. But Eric, I continue to hear the, you know, you keep saying like, if the tree falls in the woods and nobody's around to hear it, does it make a sound? You know, I know a lot of local bands, right? And I know a lot of uh, developing artists and I definitely take the time and enjoy getting on the phone on a quasi regular with a handful of bands. At any one time, there might be five to 10 different artists that I'm talking to in a relationship, right? I'm not really lawyering. There's nothing to lawyer. Uh, I'm just giving advice. And uh, I can tell you, it's really hard. On the one hand, again, I mentioned Nikki Yor. Uh, there's a guy named Vault Boy that one of my students popped off, got 100 million plays on his song. Uh, there's a, a guy named Brent Perez I'm working with. He's got 45 million plays on a Bossa Nova song. Uh, they've only, all these artists have released, you know, five or six songs over the last six months. And they've gone up, you know, to pretty big levels, right? So it can happen, and but it usually happens uh, a lot to do with TikTok or YouTube, I'll tell you that. On the other side, I know rock bands, and Doc and I were talking about one on the phone yesterday. I know some people that have like killer songs that sound like they'd be perfectly made for, say, active rock radio or whatever, but 
there's no label, there's no uh, budget, there's no radio campaign. Nobody's ever going to hear it. And I watch them struggle and I watch them push and push and push and push. And it's freaking hard. And there's the band that, uh, you know, our friend, uh, I'll just mention the one, Butterside, that's on uh, the rock, the Power Hour on Danny Wimmer's Twitch every week. And there's a bunch of people on there trying to push that rock up a hill. And it's fun and you root for them. But, uh, you know, it's 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 real tough to, for them to really get any traction, especially in a post Allison Hagendorf Spotify world. Hard well, to, that's pu- hard saying, to push a, a butterside covered rock up a hill here. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, totally. it, that's an interesting thing is we're talking about the lack of gatekeepers, but for better or worse, the gatekeeper is now the algorithms. Uh, you exactly. Know, and, and that's uh, and how do you start a wet a fire on wet leaves in the forest? Right. I mean, I mean, in, in, one, in one regard, it's kind of leveled the playing field because it's like, well, you know, you're submitting for playlist consideration on Spotify and it's going to choose whether or not it puts you on a playlist based on the algorithm. Uh, but by the same turn. Is that uh, literally what, what it is? There's, there's no. Yeah, that's how. Yeah. That's at least. Public I mean, I think it's fantastic, right? It's like you gave the choice to people to say whether they, I mean, they're literally, it's by their actions. Are they listening to it or are they skipping it? Like, I'm sure that there's more nuance to it, but in an ideal world, how democratic is that? Each one of us could release a song today and it's essentially somebody saying, do I like it or do I not like it based on their listening habit? That's what you want. But that's prejudice a little bit against rock. Uh, Rock doesn't really have the same audience necessarily. And also it's just really hard for people to find it, to get it started in the first place, unless you're on TikTok or unless you're on YouTube or unless you're on a big Well, it's not necessarily prejudice against rock. I'm talking about if you're on a rock playlist, right? And you get skipped, you are then- How do you get on it in the first place? Like if you're starting zero followers, how do you get on that rock playlist in the first place? You well, yeah, you got to do followers some other way for better. You got to do a whole lot of other stuff, as we've talked about. It's got to all come together, and you know, look, Eric, you've talked about a number of clients, Bossa Nova, and your and whomever else that have had success on TikTok, which is amazing, right? There's been plenty of one-hit wonders throughout, you know, the the existence of music. Uh, there's so many of them, you know. Oh uh, yeah, Mike, I'll make a point that I think you're going to make. It doesn't mean that having a big hit, that getting 100 million places. Song by no means means that anyone's buying your T-shirt or going to your concert or anything like that. I'm not saying that that's a substitute for a, a two-decade career. What I am saying is somebody paid attention to the song. It would be great if somebody, if a band that had the capability of having a, a, a career and, and selling tickets and could connect with fans that way, could also get somebody to listen to their music. You know what I mean? Like, we want it to all come together. These are not, as you like to say, Mike, siloed. Right. These aren't. Yeah. And it's a good point. I mean, without having heard the song sunroof, when you said it, I'm imagining it's, you know, 85 degrees out. I've got a sunroof. If I was on TikTok, I'd be driving down the road, playing this song film, you know, like it's the theme of it. Right. That might have more substance on that platform than the song itself. By the way, the barrier to entry, Mike Mowry, to discover new music, it's not that hard to click on the song. And when you get all this thing, Check it out. It's a little bit of a, a little bit of a nice little summer jam. Well, the other thing I was going to say is I was at a music conference a couple months ago and an attorney friend was doing a deal for the number one viral TikTok song, the band in the world and the U.S. that had done that. And it was like the first one that had done that in quite some time. And I was like, 
I got to check this thing out. Right. And I went and listened to it and was like, okay, I don't quite get it. Right. I don't quite get it as a 40 something man. It wasn't connecting with me. And I'm so curious, you know, now they're on my radar. I want to see what happens next. They got signed to a major. Right. And I'm going to follow and pay attention to what happened to this band because, you know, is it that they're really talented and can create something, you know, magnificent over and over again? Or is it that they had some song that for whatever reason, I don't know why it went viral. Was it the music itself? Was it the theme of the song? I, I don't know, but I'm, I'm curious to follow it. I'm curious to follow. Yeah. The ones that you're talking about, Eric, yeah. to and me, it's really what interesting. What we're talking about here is do, if you want to build a brand, this is the way I want it to. If you want to build a brand, do you need to go go on TikTok and use some of these other tools to get an audience so that people listen to your songs. And then, and a different question is, can you get someone to listen to songs without really caring about the brand? But I, 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 I think that, I think that if you are a new rock band, say a hard rock band trying to make it, I think you should take advantage of every tool in the arsenal. You don't have to, but I certainly think that it's become ever increasingly difficult to stumble into connecting to the machine in a way that's actually going to move the needle. Labels do not sign bands anymore that don't have anything going on. They really don't want to for the most part, right? You have to get numbers online in order to get invited to that next level of investment. Managers, none of you guys are going to take on a band that has like no followers. You're going to be, if you're hyping me in a band, you're going to quote how many followers they have, how many monthly listeners, how many Instagram, TikTok, whatever. That's the currency by which higher level people are involving themselves in pumping money and time into your project today. Yeah, but there might be some young kid who's trying to get a start in management who is working with somebody. Just as when I came up and started managing bands that really people were saying, what are you doing? <laughs> right. It's they true. didn't have all of those things. They didn't have the tour numbers. They didn't have the merch numbers. And there was some faith because of the passion of the band, some of their talent and the passion of myself that we thought we could build it. Right. Yeah. But that was in a pre-social media world where I'm telling it's so easy to build a following online. It's not easy, but it also is easy. If something's going to connect quickly, inexpensively, it's going to happen most of the time through social media and online. And, and basically, I tell artists, don't commit to a record label that's going to be a terrible deal that you're only going to get when you're at this size that's based on speculative future. And don't commit to a manager or an attorney or anybody. Go out and be your figure out your business and get something worth managing and then go assemble the team around it. But in order to do that, I think you got to get it started on so online. Yeah, I, I think that's great. There, there's two things before we're done. There's two things I want to say before they escape me and then to answer your broader question about uh, do bands need to do this stuff? Should they have to? And, and all that. Uh, one thing I, I want to mention is we're talking about algorithms and we're talking about, you know, people who were curators at Spotify and wherever that used to make these decisions, just like radio programmers and AR executives and on down the list. That gets into a larger conversation about uh, expertise and about curation. That's a, a big conversation out there in the media in general, right? Like, do you want to go to a film festival that's curated and programmed by, you know, a great film director and a Academy Award winning screenwriter and, you know, establishment film critic? Or do you want to go to a film festival where any Yahoo has entered their film and it's there's 
a thousand movies playing and you have no idea when you're walking in if it's going to be worth your two hours to watch. Ryan, Ryan, that's why having the value of a Ryan Downey or a Katie Babs or a Doc Coyle or a Jose Mangan, Eddie Trunk, Jamie Josta, Matt Pinfield, Josh Bernstein, it, it's it, Allison Hagendorf. It's way more valuable and important. Shannon Guns. These are people that matter on a different level. Today I certainly agree. That, that's, that's where you have taste people with experience and with opinions you trust. Um, and even, you know, and one of the great things about uh, criticism over the years is that you can read a film critic and understand how much their tastes align or di- diverge from your own and go, okay, well, that critic hated that movie. I might actually like it. But, you know, and this gets into a whole other conversation, you know, Rotten Tomatoes, and you look at the audience score versus the critical score. And a lot of times you'll hear someone say, well, look at this great audience score. That's the truth. Those are the people. And it's like, there, you know, there's even a whole gaming of the system that comes in with that review bombing and sure, you know, all sorts of things that are happening. I, I there. wish all you guys, I wish Ryan, you were curating a, a, a group of bands every periodically releasing like your picks. Uh, I wish you were doing that doc. I wish Jose was doing it. Allison was doing it. Shannon, I, I, I think y'all should be doing that. It would be a great. Maybe that is something we, we could get into. I also want, just want to say one other thing to the point of, you know, like Mike was talking about the big band on TikTok that gets a major label deal and, and watching that very curiously just to see like, okay, well, how does this, does this translate? Does this become a career? Is this a, someone that people want to go see or buy a t-shirt? I think, and this goes back probably 10 years, if not more, but do you guys remember Crayshawn? She had Sounds a huge weird. music video called Gucci Gucci. She's a rapper from the Bay Area. And and it was one of the, it was when you, when the idea was that YouTube was making music stars and she had this great video and it was funny and cool. And she had a whole look and an aesthetic and she had a whole crew that was with her, these other rappers that were part of her scene or whatever. And, um, and they got into some beefs. The game was beefing with, with some of them. And she had this huge video on YouTube, got signed to Sony, went to the MTV VMAs and was nominated for Best Breakthrough Artist. She hadn't even recorded her album yet. And uh, I, I wrote I love the video and I, I wrote about her for Billboard. And uh, the record came out and totally tanked. And never to and be and the cash me outside girl got a record deal and there was uh you know and remember that the cash yeah. me outside that that girl i think she got a record deal right and they some of the some of the girls who were in creation's crew also got record deals and, and didn't it didn't materialize and that's not and to say was, i don't i mean i know she's directed videos it's not to say that she's not doing anything and she's not happy i know she's a kid i don't keep up with her so much but the idea that wow, look at this huge explosion on YouTube. And then Sony comes in and then it's the whole industry is behind it and she gets nominated for a video music award. And then the record comes out. And it's you, just, had, you had yeah. MySpace, you had Blood on the Dance Floor, The Millionaires, Jeffree Star, some of those. John for different... a Cowboy in the, in the Deathcore realm. They were, right. the, they were the first band I remember hearing like, they have a million plays on MySpace. They're getting signed to Metal Blade. Wow. But Suicide Silence came out of that too, right? Yeah. I mean, there's bands that have had careers. That... Hollywood and Dead, sure. you know, a lot of a lot of bands did 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 really well from that. You know, um, is Jairus Johnson somebody that's on your guys' radar right now? Like, yeah. I believe just from the radio started. charts and stuff like that. But I, I was also going to say T Mills. That was another one. Remember, T Mills was big major label deal. Yeah, Eric, what's the latest with Jairus Johnson? I was I actually know. thinking I about him. him but, but I see his name 
but I see him either he's on stage at emo night or he's on a track with Jacoby or he's got his own, he's on octane. So it feels like there's just, and, and I think, I don't know the story, but I think he was a TikTok. You know? Yeah. I'm just oh, saying right. to me, all of that stuff you described is six months ago. What's he done in the last six months? I haven't heard anything about him. It doesn't. And I have, I have yeah. a, one of my former, uh, a lawyer at my firm went to work managing manages the D'Amelios, which are big TikTokers. And they have a reality show on, on Hulu. And he's actually in the show because he's their manager. It's kind of like a Kardashians type thing. And she's trying to have a pop music career. One of, one of the family, you know, I don't know how much that works. I don't know if just being famous on TikTok is going to help you have a long career. I do know that I think that, it not being on TikTok is going to hinder your ability to get started as a platform in 2020. Well, I feel like uh, we've covered the the topic pr- pretty well and pretty thoroughly. Um, does anyone have kind of any like you know last statements or anything they want to do to kind of encapsulate? Uh, they think where the, where the conversation is. Um, hey, I, why, I, why don't you, Ryan? Why don't you start? I was going to say just to answer Eric's question, which I think is a great way to land the plane, as he suggested. I, all they are all tools; they're all available. I think as as managers, as labels, as attorneys, you know, giving advice. Part of that advice is to say, "Look, here's everything that's available to you right now. Here's the way others are using it. Here's different things you could do." And then the the real question is, what are you willing to do? What would you like to do? What, 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 where are your lines where you won't compromise? What are things that don't make sense to you that aren't right for you? And, and, you know, there are, uh, actors who have avoided social media. There are artists who avoided it. And, and granted, we are of course, usually talking about people who were established through some, you know, older system of, of making it so to speak. But I think it, uh, the biggest question to ask yourself comes down to something that happened in our culture in the last couple decades where it went from people saying i want to be a famous rock star i want to be a famous rapper i want to be a famous film director i want to be a famous astronaut to i want to be famous and that to me is a real dividing line culturally and some folks see music as a means to become famous, just like being on a reality TV show or whatever. And for those people, do whatever, shake your ass. That's that's your whole point. But if you are an artist and you have a, a message, whether that's political, spiritual, personal, cultural, a point of view, right? If you, if you have an idea, if you, if you stand for something and it doesn't have to be something divisive, just if you stand for something, your art, then it's up to you to decide once someone, you know, once, once you've gotten gathered all the information and you know all the different avenues available to you, it's up to you to decide uh, what's right for you. So I think that's, that's the only answer to the question I could come up with. Mike, you got anything? Yeah. I think the only thing I'll say is being uh, a successful artist or successful in anything, there's going to be pressure. Right. And there's, always going to be pressure coming in and you're going to have to do things that you don't want to do. And, you know, where you draw a line in the sand as an artist is 
you know, up to you. And, you know, as Ryan pointed out, there's compromise to be made. And as Eric's pointed out, there's consequences to potentially not doing certain things, but, you know, um, I think it's been a fun and interesting conversation. So thanks for having me boys. Thank you, Mike. Eric, you started this, uh, thing. Why don't you finish it, please? Yeah. I think, I think back in the day, uh, you know, in a world that it was before my time, but I perceive in the seventies and eighties, I believe that uh, artists just were, they got together in their garage. They just started hacking away. And sometimes the ones that were truly excellent or lucky or some combination of both got discovered and presented to the world. And if you want that to be your life, if you want to wait around for that weird sequence of uh, uh, that I talked about that where I ended up listening to Dido, that took me 23 years to find that record, but okay, right? Uh, it, it, you know, cool. And that's, yeah, if you're trying to be famous now because you want people to listen to your product, your your music or whatever, you know, you gotta, you gotta go where the people are. Right. And so I think that, uh, that's pretty much where we're at. Nobody has to do anything. These are just ideas. Um, what would make it more likely for someone to discover your music? Well, thank all of you for being on the show. They, they get to hear my opinion enough. So I, 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 I was just really, uh, you know, I, I put in my two cents where, where it made sense, but I really wanted to, uh, get all of all of your well-informed uh, input because uh, you guys are tackling different elements of the industry and like you know and your experience is uh, is super valuable and and your insight is super valuable to the listener so thanks again for symposium number two next time I I, I think I might have to learn actually learn about nfts which might take a couple of years. <laughs> Or All right, yeah, but I, I feel like my, I feel like it's going to be over by the time we figured it out. <laughs> yeah, you never know. You never know. All right, fellas, everyone have Thank an you. excellent, excellent week, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Thanks, Doc. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Doc. Bye, Bye guys. Bye. She gives me something that I never get from anyone. It feels exciting, but at the same time, it feels wrong. The sex is awesome, but I'm bleeding up when she's gone. And I know that it's fucked up, I know that it's dumb, but I can't let her go Cause she's a vampire, sucks all my life away And my friends are telling me that I shouldn't stay But she's a vampire, sucks all the pain away And I'm superhuman when I'm playing a game
So that was the band Solence with their track Vampire. And that was the band I was talking about that Mike Mowry is currently managing. They're from Sweden. And John and I from Bad Wolves uh, got to work on a couple of tracks with them. They were in L.A. doing some writing sessions. And they're super, super cool dudes. Very fun. Uh, would love to hang out with them. Write. Drink beer. If I'm drinking. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe tour, do some shows together, but they're they're doing really well. They're they're crushing it right now. And as as Mike said, they just did uh, some shows with Five Finger Death Punch, which is very very cool. Anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. A lot of information there. Some very smart smart gentlemen uh, who know exactly what's going on. And I, and I, you know, I was listening back to my shows, and and I and I caught even more on the re listen than during the conversation. So. I thought that was really interesting, and uh, if you got something out of it, then that's what this show is all about. Tell your friends, spread the word, spread the gospel. X-Man is around. And uh, hopefully on this this tour, I've been trying to get Jacoby from uh, Papa Roach for a minute, so hopefully we can try and lock that down. We're going to see. I'm going to turn the screws a little bit. Uh, I was talking to maybe Luke Holland. I was playing with Falling Universe. About doing the show, a uh, very cool guy. I got to meet all the Fog Universe guys. I know Max Georgiev. Uh, I've known him for a long time. He's been playing lead guitar for them for a minute. And so hopefully I'll grab some people from the tour and maybe even book some interviews uh, with some people not on the tour on my days off. But I got to kind of gotta work on the, the scheduling. But we have some days off com- coming up, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work it out. I want to make sure I keep the content coming. For all of you lovely human beings. So I'm going to get out of here. Uh, keep on rocking. Uh, that's pretty much all. That's that's all I got. Keep, keep on rocking. Drink water. You know, stretch. You got to stretch. You know, you don't want to pull a hammy when you're out there doing the thing. And, uh, you know, keep it real. Or not. Be fake. It's working for a lot of people. <laughs> all right. Mamba's out. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the One Hit Thunder or nothing more than a one hit blunder. 
Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods.